Hello, good afternoon and welcome everybody to this last um, event of the series organized by the EPP group um, on addressing uh, gender issues. Today it's the International Day of Women and we are of course addressing uh, the most urgent issue related to women's which is addressing gender-based uh, violence. During the past few weeks, we have been tackling some of the um, issues uh, relating to early um, gender stereotypes that has a, a very big impact on the perception of women and girls and also on their access to education and professional careers. We have been talking about how having women on boards is actually, um, it makes economic sense. It's just um, something that we absolutely need to do and that we need to ensure that we have more women represented in boards and how important uh, role models are when it comes to, to these as well. We have been talking about entrepreneurship and how women sometimes face um, bias in terms of access to funding in terms of the support they get for their business but how at the same time when they do get the support they are very very successful um, and we were been we have been talking about women in rural areas as well um, today as I said we are addressing uh, the core element of the discussion when it comes to gender um, equality and is addressing violence against women um, during this International Women's Day. For this uh, session uh, we have Frances Fitzgerald, who is a member of the European Parliament. Uh, she's the Group Coordinator on Women's Rights and Gender Equality, and she's a former Minister for Justice in Ireland. We have Irina Mutsova, who is Director for Equality and Citizenship uh, Unit at DigiJust at the European Commission. And we have Claire Fourazan, who is the Policy and Campaigns Editor at the European Women's Lobby. Let me maybe start then um, with Claire. Um, the proposal was just uh, released um, today, so we don't know yet a lot of details about it. Um, but from what we have heard about, do you think it ticks all the boxes? Good afternoon. Thank you, Beatrice, and thank you, MEP Fitzgerald, for the invitation. Uh, to answer your questions, this proposal is an historic moment for sure. Uh, the European Women's Lobby and its members throughout Europe have been calling for it since its creation 30 years ago. So we can really call it an, a landmark in the history of the fight against violence against women and girls. It will ensure harmonization of EU laws on some forms of violence like rape, female genital mutilation, key forms of online violence like non-consensual sharing of intimate or manipulated material. And it is also quite strong on protection and support services to victims. However, it is not perfect. It doesn't propose to include violence against women and girls in the list of EU crimes, therefore lacking a strong legal basis to tackle all forms of violence. Also, it doesn't cover all forms of violence. And finally, it doesn't propose disposition to tackle sexual exploitation of women. So as of now, we will work with the European Parliament, with MEPs and with countries, uh, particularly the ones holding the presidencies of the EU currently and in the, in the coming year, uh, to strengthen the text. Thank you so much for that, Claire. I think Irina just uh, joined us and I think um, it would be interesting to hear from you, Irina. Um, what is it that the Commission has put forward today? What is it that we can see in that proposal? How, you, how are you planning to tackle gender-based violence in Europe? Yes, indeed. Uh, hello, good afternoon and apologies for observing some technical issues at the beginning. I hope you can hear me now. Yes, perfectly fine. 
Excellent. So, well, first of all, let me know that within the turbulence of this time, uh, that uh, I'm extremely proud. I'm extremely proud that it pre precisely on the International Women's Day, so we are, as European Commission, adopting this long-awaiting proposal for a directive on combating violence against women and domestic violence. And I have heard that a colleague from, uh, from the civil society organization already referred to the several calls from, uh, from many actors, many stakeholders, uh, that uh, we are coming ahead with this, with this proposal. And this proposal, let me say, first of all, it is the first ever targeted and legally binding European Union rules on violence against women. But of course, there is still some uh, some road to, to go ahead uh, because this is the proposal which should be then adopted by the colleges later, later on. But it has been a really high time to cover this topic with the criminal legislation at the European Union level. So this proposal, if I may, because it's, uh, it is being released as speaking now, so let me give you some, uh, some first tasting of it. It is about both violence against women together with the domestic violence because of the similarities in violence perpetrated due to the victim's gender or in family-like circumstances and also in intimate partnerships. So this is very important. And let's also be clear that this proposal requires the member states to take a minimum level of measures to respond to the violence against women and domestic violence. So it's already built up on the efforts done at the national level, but it ensures that in all member states, they are the necessary measures in place in all necessary policy areas. And also the member states are invited, should they wish so, so to go to beyond this minimum level of measures. Now, we are taking this action across the whole European Union in a very comprehensive manner, because we are inquiring to uh, the member states to take the measures in five areas, prevention, protection, access to justice, victim support and coordination. So we are introducing a set of harmonized EU level criminalization to supplement the criminal offenses, which are already in the place in member states. And uh, let's also say that it is for the first time that we are at the European level requiring member states to ensure that rape is criminalized also when a victim has not given consent to the sexual act. And there are, I would say, several member states where this definition is not yet uh, adopted in the similar way. It also, and this is a complete novelty, criminalizes the most common forms of gender-based cyber violence at the European level. For example, non-consensual sharing of intimate images and content and also cyber silking. So if I still have a little bit of time, so I will very briefly go through some basic elements. So uh, in the proposal, we set out measures on protection and access to justice. So as soon as the domestic authorities become aware of the violence, they need to assess the risk of further violence and protect potential victims through emergency bearing orders or protection of orders. There is also, and you know that uh, violence against uh, women, so it is one of the most underreported crimes. So uh, the reporting violence need to be made available to those who wish to report the event. And also investigations and prosecution must be conducted promptly by the trained personnel. And member states must issue guidelines to law enforcement, but also judicial authorities on how to identify cases 
of violence against women and treat victims in a gender-sensitive manner. Also, victims must be able to obtain a decision on compensation from offender in the course of already criminal proceedings. So directly in the criminal proceedings, they should be compensated. Uh, very briefly about the support, uh, we are looking uh, to access to adequate support before, during and after criminal proceedings. So they are the basic requirements to, for the support. Uh, member states are uh, to provide special support to victims of sexual crime, uh, sexual harassment and child victims in particular. So, for instance, they are required to provide information and support services through the national helplines and also provide service for a harmonized EU-wide helpline, and they should ensure the support services are available across the whole geographical area of the member state, which is not the case at the moment. We are also focusing on the prevention of this kind of crime. Uh, we are asking member states to undertake awareness raising campaigns and provide information on violence against women, uh, also, voluntary intervention programs are to be made available to potential perpetrators because it is also the, sec the other side of the, of the coin. Um, and the professionals are likely to come into the contact with victims, should be uh, trained to identify victims. And uh, here I'm speaking about police, judicial authorities, but also health professionals and social workers. So they can really treat the victims effectively and also appropriately. And last but not least, the, 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 the remaining elements is about the coordination because we would like to ensure the necessary exchange of information between the relevant actors within the member state, but also at the European level. So we propose uh, EU-wide survey data collection that will be obligatory, which is not the case now. So the latest large uh, uh, pan-European survey was uh, done in 2014 by FRA. Uh, and the next survey organized by Eurostat will cover only two-thirds of the member states. We also propose the strength and collection of comparative administrative data by the member states. And uh, uh, on the basis of that, so we hope to have in place the key measures for monitoring prevalence of this kind of violence across the European Union in future in order to properly also implement this upcoming uh, legislative instrument. Thank you so much, Irina, for that uh, uh, very um, interesting uh, overview of the of the topic, because indeed, and it has been released just as we speak, so we didn't actually have access to the details we have before having this conversation, and it was very important to have a clear idea of what the Commission is putting forward, which it looks to me a lot like trying to align the current legislation that we have with the Istanbul Convention, which should, should be the basis uh, for, for any legislation combating um, violence against women, but it's also interesting to see that you're uh, both addressing on the one hand as you said prevention but also um, reinforcing the justice system to make sure that it's properly persecuted. Now um, both you Irina and Claire have mentioned the need uh, to um, to establish a dialogue with all uh, the co-legislators indeed and one of those co-legislators is of course the European Parliament. Um, so I want to bring Francis into the conversation because the European Parliament has been strongly advocating for a comprehensive directive on gender-based violence. Now that you have listened to uh, Irina, do you think, Francis, that the legislation that the, the European Commission is putting forward is enough to tackle gender-based violence in Europe? This is from Irina, uh, and that's very good. 
Uh, I'm taking it in. I think it's historic. I think it's landmark legislation on gender violence. And uh, in terms of equality, I think it's an incredibly important uh, directive. I'm very impressed with what I've heard. It is extensive. It's wide ranging. And I think it matches and reaches the aspirations of the Istanbul Convention in taking, you know, prevention, protection, prosecution approach. Um, I think setting minimum standards uh, of sentence across the European Union, we're encouraging all member states to view any acts of violence against women very seriously. It includes rape, cyber violence. Uh, women who are victims of violence in different fora. So I think the directive is a really important step in ensuring that justice is delivered uh, for women, no matter which EU country they live in. And I think there can be no hiding place across our union for perpetrators of violence. And a uniform approach across the European Union can deliver the protection for women, ensuring that any form of violence against women anywhere in the union will be punished. So female genital mutilation is in there. I'm really pleased to see that this horrendous crime has not been adequately dealt with either in Europe or elsewhere. And prosecution isn't enough. Of course, we have to do prevention and we have to work on making sure those proper responses are given to women who are victims of violence from the police from state services, from our health services. And that point, there's a point in it as well, I think, about sharing information, that doctors will be able to share information if they think there's a threat of physical violence. That's really important, uh, that people will not be hampered in sharing information. So there's a lot of very good things in it. I have to study it further, of course, but I think it's very important. And I would say well done to Ursula von der Leyen, uh, to Irina and her colleagues. Um, it's an important day for us to see this. I mean, I, I'll conclude by saying every 10 years, a city the size of Marseille, Zagreb or Amsterdam disappears because 87,000 women are killed through violence every single year. It's a huge issue. Thank you so much for that, Francis, because you actually have mentioned something that it's very important as well, and it's this issue of having different legislations all across Europe. Uh, we have seen, particularly in some member states, that there has been a backlash again uh, against um, rights of women, and definitely having a common legislation, a framework of reference at European level is absolutely key to address those issues, particularly when it comes to violence, which is very much at the centre of this discussion. Um, I wanted to bring back Irina as well, because I know that the European Commission has conducted um, a consultation process before launching this piece of legislation. I was wondering why was so necessary and how was this consultation process? Well, thank you very much, first of all, to, to Frances for uh, her first already assessment of the draft proposal. It is very encouraging to see so how you are already uh, uh, looking at this proposal with the favorable eyes, because, of course, uh, the process to have it adopted is rather long. But uh, the European Parliament was at the beginning and will be at the end. So uh, you just asked me about the consultation process. We have launched uh, it already uh, a year ago. So we have organized open public consultations, which attracted almost 800 replies from the general public. But not only that, so we have also uh, organized targeted consultations to member states to non-governmental organizations and international organizations. We have also organized information workshops to member states and social partners, and we've been also in the constant dialogue with our partners in the European Parliament. Uh, 
Now, what is very clear is that these consultations confirmed the need for the Commission to do much more to tackle violence against women through the binding legislation. And uh, those taking part in this consultation, they pointed at different gaps in all the areas of the proposal, as I said already at the beginning. So prevention, protection, access to justice, victim support and coordination. And these gaps identified during the consultation, so were further supported with the information from international monitoring bodies. And here I have to uh, very much uh, thank to the colleagues from the Council of Europe and mainly from the monitoring body of Istanbul Convention, Grebio, that gave us a lot of the very interesting and uh, important information. So uh, in the nutshell, to say uh, everybody participated in order to give us uh, the clear uh, identification, identification of the problems to be covered, to main avenue to take uh, ahead. Of course, uh, we had to accept certain level of the ambition in order to, as I said, to set up a kind of the minimum standards uh, cross-border for all the member states, because the situation vary. But we believe that this is a first very important step in order to uh, achieve the union of equality and eradicate uh, violence against women and domestic violence, hopefully from this continent soon. Thank you so much for that, Marina. I will probably get back to you on the issue of how the implementation process is going to look like. What do you think are the main challenges ahead? But let me back, get back uh, to Claire now, because I know the European Women's Lobby has prioritised the issue of sexual exploitation um, when, when talking about gender uh, violence. And I was wondering... From what you know, because we know that the proposal was just released, so you didn't get the time to go through all the details. But do you feel from what you're hearing from Irina and from you have read so far that the proposal tackles this issue? Well, as, as you say, from a very first look at the proposal, um, which looks again overall uh, really like an historic uh, landmark in the fight against women and girls, uh, we believe that uh, there might be a, a bit of lost opportunity, uh, particularly on sexual, sexual exploitation of, of women. Um, so you might know the crime of sexual exploitation of women counts among EU crimes in Article 83, one of the treaties, and is actually the legal basis for key disposition in the proposed directive. Yet, it doesn't legislate on sexual exploitation of women. And this feels very much like a lost opportunity. Ahead of the release of the directed directive, we had called the European Commission to define sexual exploitation of women and introduce into EU law the equality model with an end-demand approach. Uh, the key factors of the equality model should be followed, according to us, according to EWL, which are support, exit programs and health services to be provided for those affected by sexual exploitation, and also criminal penalties for those who perpetuate, perpetuate the system, the pimps and the so-called buyers. Uh, indeed, sexual exploitation affects arms and kills thousands of women and girls across Europe every day. And there's this gap, this enduring gap on sexual exploitation of women that leaves women and girls unidentified as victims of crime without recourse or support and, and it keeps them vulnerable to trauma and extreme violence at the ends of criminal gangs and perpetrators. So yet again, that's an area where we will uh, work hand in hand, uh, hopefully with the European Parliament to strengthen the disposition and have a really strong um, uh, call from the European Parliament to end sexual exploitation in, in the EU. 
this is still a lot of work to be done indeed and that will that we for sure um, be part of the conversation uh, that we'll be having in the next few months. Uh, Francis, something that has been really key as well, it's not only um, tackling gender-based violence within the EU, but also outside the European Union. Do you think that the proposal that the Commission has tabled today, and again, considering that it was just released, we don't have many details about it yet, um, but do you think it sufficiently addressed gender-based violence also outside the EU? Obviously, we've limited competences when it comes outside of the EU. But what I would say is that it's a strong statement of our values. You know, the rule of law, protecting democracy, equality. Equality, as I said in the Parliament today, it's not an add-on. It's essential. It's quintessentially European to support uh, gender equality. And we probably lead the world as a parliament in relation to that. Do I think it will impact outside Europe? Yes, I do. I think um, what we're doing, um, is a really important statement of our values. We see the Ukrainian women fighting for their values every day now. We see Ukraine trying to survive as a democracy. Um, and I think that European values do impact on the rest of the world. I mean, if you take, for example, uh, you know, uh, uh, FGM, uh, that's, you know, that's an issue worldwide. You set a standard and how it should be dealt with. You break the cultural taboos around it. You say that it's a crime. It would be prosecuted in Europe. Of course, that's going to have an impact. You look at the Spotlight Initiative, which we have supported. The EU and the UN have put 500 million to fight gender-based violence around, violence around the world. And I was really interested to hear that even during COVID, despite the increase in gender-based violence, the Spotlight Initiative was able to reach women and girls who needed support. So look, at it's very important. It's a statement of values. It's a statement of intent. It's also a statement about implementation. I would like to see the Nordic model, the equality model. I brought it in in Ireland. I would like to see that right across Europe, but we've a lot of work to do on that. But of course, women who are being sexually who are exploited and who are victims of violence uh, can, of course, get support under this directive. Thank you so much um, for that, because indeed um, it's it's a lot that the EU is contributing to uh, in terms of tackling global gender-based violence. We know that indeed is collaborating with the UN and with other organisations to make sure that this is something that goes well beyond the borders of the European Union. Um, now, talking about one of those institutions, um, um, I was wondering, Irina, do you think that the proposal meets the ambition of the Istanbul Convention? And as I was saying before, um, what do you think are going to be the main challenges when moving into first the negotiation of the proposal with the member states because we know that there are very big differences be between different countries uh, but also moving forward in the implementation of this legislation that has been proposed by the commission. Mm -hmm. Well thank you for this question and maybe just a very quick reaction to Frances uh, when she mentioned uh, the, the, the terrible situation of uh, the Ukraine women who uh, and girls, so uh, the, our level of ambition was uh, tested against this new phenomenon. And that's why, so at the very last moment, so we have actually added a new provision on the uh, women and girls so fleeing from the arms conflict. So there is uh, at least a small contribution as well in order to assure this minimum protection. So even in such a, such a difficult times. Now, on the Istanbul Convention, uh, let me make it absolutely clear, as our president did already. So the accession 
uh, of the European Union towards the Council of Europe Istanbul Convention is stays and continues to be uh, a priority for the Commission. However, since the precisely the outcome of this accession uh, remains uncertain, even following the opinion of the European Court of Justice, and we hopefully resume negotiations soon under the French presidency. So that's why so we went ahead with this proposal, which established specialized European rules in those areas of the Istanbul Convention that fall within European Union competence. So we have taken a slimmer approach so it also supports the implementation of the convention in those 21 member states that are part of it, but also builds on the best practices identified in the monitoring of the convention. So it's, as you can see, very, very complementary. Now, as I said, the proposal is limited to measures that can be taken on the basis of European Union's competence in the matters of criminal law. So therefore, there is a narrower scope uh, than the convention. So it doesn't cover, for example, extensive elements on non-discrimination, asylum, or labor law. But at the same time, within its scope of application, so the directive is more elaborate and uh, it is already deepening standards of the convention, allowing for more ambitious measures that can be monitored at the European Union level, but also adding the area of the cyber violence as a completely new area which is not covered by the Istanbul Convention. So with that being said, I would say that uh, Istanbul Convention is the most holistic international instrument which is currently in place. And this new piece of legislation is pursuing a similar similar uh, concept, but is using a different tools within the competences enshrined to the European Union by the treaties, and also looking at the, uh, the broader scope in certain areas, as I said, in the cyber violence. And we strongly believe that on basis of this uh, different dynamics, so we will be able to proceed uh, with the member states uh, towards their consent very soon. We have already established uh, under the French presidency two dates of the first discussion in the two different um, council working groups. It is on the 28th of this month, so in 20 days in the FREMP working party and later on in the COPEN working party on the 29th. So as you can see, so we are immediately jumping into the deep waters and uh, I hope that we will be able to swim until the end and to get this proposal out very soon uh, in order to have this adopted by the co-legislators in the benefit of all women being facing the gender-based violence or domestic violence in Europe. Thank you for that, Irina. I think it's very important to see that there is already a political push uh, just as the proposal is being tabled because we, we see indeed that it's a core issue, that uh, it's a real problem all across Europe. As Francis was mentioning, the data are absolutely horrifying and we, we need to move forward into uh, protecting women all across Europe. Um, let me get back to Claire. Do you feel that with this uh, new legislation that the European Commission is proposing, um, if it's been adopted, uh, if it's been um, applied, women are going to be safer in Europe. Uh, well, of course, we are very much looking forward for, for this, uh, the adoption of this directive. Uh, as it is right now, it is a very strong basis. It's indeed building on the Istanbul Convention. That's great. And it's, it's actually going a step further by having disposition on, on 
different forms of cyber violence, which are new types of violence that are particularly affecting women and girls, uh, specific, uh, um, specifically women that are um, journalists, uh, politicians, etc. So it's really, really crucial that this proposal is covering this type of um, of violence. And, and we believe that if we work together with members of the European Parliament and EU member states, we can really reach the adoption of a strong directive on violence against women and girls. And this strong directive uh, is mirroring the Istanbul Convention, I said, and, and, and we know that can bring significant, significant positive changes in the lives of women and girls in the EU. Actually, uh, in May 2021, the European Women's Lobby issued a report showing significant progress in countries having ratified the Istanbul Convention. And, and, and this in the field of protection of victims, prevention and prosecution of violence, and, uh, and also through the adoption of, of integrated policies. So that we are confident that this proposal, with strengthening through the co-legislative process, as I said, can bring significant changes in the life of women and girls. Of course, this should come with the ratification of the Istanbul Convention by the European Union and all its member states. We, we are keeping fighting and campaigning on, on this aspect. Uh, and we will work and we will continue to work towards creating a feminist Europe where women and girls can live free from violence and the fear of it. Thank you so much for that, Claire, because indeed one of the uh, of the issues that we are confronted with when we're talking about gender-based violence in the EU is the fact that indeed some of the member states of the European Union have not ratified the Istanbul Convention. And as we know, some of them are actually even um, withdrawing from it. So this is, of course, a core element to this conversation. And it's going to be absolutely essential when we move into the uh, into the co-legislature process of negotiation and into the implementation of these issues, of these of these legislation that's going to be a huge challenge for the European Commission. Um, now a final word maybe uh, Frances, um, how do you see these um, these issues that uh, we're talking about right now, these challenges when it comes to the ratification of the Istanbul Convention and on the other hand do you think that the current funding that is put into tackling uh, violence against women is enough to match this proposal? Well, I, when it comes to budget, it's always, it amazes me what a big fight it is to get more money uh, for gender equality. Even in the RRF recently, trying to get in criteria around gender was such an uphill battle. When the multi-annual financial framework was being discussed, we wanted to see more money for the Daphne objective, which, you know, deals with this issue. And um, if the funding was increased, but, you know, I think post-COVID, with a 30% increase in domestic violence, with the data we're getting now from places like IGAE and around our member states, clearly we need a real, you know, multifaceted approach to deal with this issue. It involves a lot of agencies, organisations, culture shifts, uh, public advertising. We need to be putting a bigger and bigger budget to make sure, because, you know, look at the loss to our economies. You looked at the loss to our economies because of the lack of gender equality and violence against women, the women who where opportunity is lost to them for their future roles in economy and in their societies. So um, the budget needs to get bigger and we need to motivate all these different organisations and governments and our member states to really put this at the centre of their social policies and make sure we bring out the very best that this directive offers to our member states and in the end really help women. It is indeed urgent to take action. I see that we have uh, Miguel Pastor who wants to take the floor. Um, please Miguel, go ahead and ask your question. 
Um, thank you so much, uh, Beatrice. Um, well, Bea, actually. <laughs> um, I just have a question for uh, Francis and uh, Irena. Um, I'll go first with Irena. Um, regarding the European Commission um, Equality Strategy, uh, the the strategy uh, 2020-2025, um, does your strategy has a um, LGBTI um, um, perspective? I mean, um, how will um, trans uh, women be protected under the uh, European Commission strategy for equality? And uh, then for um, Francis, um, feature, um one of the main problems that we have in the European Union, a concrete problem uh, that might need a concrete solution, is uh, the uh, gender pay gap. Um, it is decreasing, but it is still there. Which proposals has the European, um, the European Parliament to uh, decrease it and to well solve this uh, problem? Um, and thank, thank you for for your answers, and thank you uh, for to the to the EPP for organizing these uh, Twitter spaces. Do you want to go ahead first, Irina? Yes, very pleasure, but I will be very short because I'm aware of the timing. So, indeed, uh, for building the Europe of equality, so as uh, as uh, committed, uh, the president of the of the European Commission engaged together with the Commission Dali in uh, building up on the basis of the gender equality strategy, which already enshrines also uh, one as a key principle the intersectionality, but also um, um, adopted several other strategies. And here I would like to point out that we have adopted earlier also the LGBTIQ strategy, uh, which is putting together several elements in different areas of life. So in order to promote uh, and protect uh, also in the in the in the um, against the violence, uh, the rights and the integrity of the LGBTIQ uh, people. So this is my clear answer to that. So if you are not familiar with it, so at the website of the Commission you will find it. But again also in uh, all uh, gender equality proposals. So the intersectionality is a key element in all of them. Yeah, I was actually going to, to ask you a follow-up on that, on how do those two interact with, between each other? How the, um, how the legislation that we see putting forward today um, also acknowledge the different kinds of violence that trans women, um, lesbian or bisexual women are actually confronted with just because of their sexuality together with their gender. Is there any um, interaction between the two legislation or is there within the current legislation uh, tackling uh, women against violence, recognizing this particularity for those women? Well, first of all, as you know, so strategy is not a legislative instrument. So uh, while, uh, as I said, so intersectionality is a key element in it. So it is it is not enshrined in the basis of legislation. In our recent pay transparency proposal, so the intersectionality is for the first time ever uh, imposed into the uh, or transposed into the um, uh, European legislation. So it is for the first every time. And the current violence against women proposal is clearly focusing also on domestic violence, which is uh, covering so whoever lives in the on the same roof so it can be transgender it can be lesbian it can be men it can be elderly <clears throat> and of course <clears throat> Uh, um, uh, lesbian women or transgender uh, women, so they are equally protected as uh, women and girls as a subject of this proposal. So the the, the gender aspect is uh, is uh, embedded in the proposal on its own uh, footing as well. 
Thank you so much for that, Irina. Maybe, Francis, you would like to answer to the uh, second question? Expecting pay transparency uh, initiative now from the Commission fairly soon. I think that's going to make quite a difference in tackling the gender pay gap. It's only one issue, of course. It's also about the predominance of women in certain sectors and the need to have you know, a broadening of the sectors that women are involved, supporting women in STEM, ICT and AI. All of that will make a difference to the gender pay gap. Thank you so much for that. Um, if there are not oh, no more questions among our audience, uh, this would be the end of our conversation today. Um, as we were talking about, uh, it, there is estimated that every year around 87,000 women were well are killed by their intimate partner or family member. And we have seen a raise in the cases of uh, violence against women all across Europe during the COVID-19 crisis. This is an absolutely core issue um, in Europe. A lot of women all across Europe are actually affected by any form of sexual or physical violence. And the European Commission has today uh, proposed that landmark legislation to try to harmonize the response that we see in Europe in terms of both raising awareness, in terms of prevention, in terms of protection of women, in terms of persecution injustice against um, uh, violence against women. Um, as you know, this has been the last of the many conversations that we have had in the context of this series of discussions about gender equality. You can find the other um, events that we host over the past few weeks in the EPP group Instagram profile. This one has been held here on Twitter space. And I would like to thank all of my speakers today, Francis Fitzgerald, Erna Mutsova, and Claire Furzan for their contribution and as well as the audience for being part of this very, very important conversation that we absolutely need to have in Europe. Again, thank you so much to everyone and uh, have a lovely day. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you very much for your support. And let's hope the proposal is uh, adopted very soon. Let's hope for that indeed. Let's keep protecting women in Europe.